Well, there are some texts in Scripture that we come to and everybody loves. On any given Sunday, if we were to preach on creation or how the world was formed through theistic evolution, <laughs> all these things, people are like, oh, that'd be fun to talk about. Grab some popcorn, right? If you talk about self-esteem, right? Self-esteem, we're like, well, I'm going to bring my kids to that. <laughs> they need to hear that. Or if we talk about end times, that's when everybody's like, now nah, we're talking, Troy. Now I'm going to invite everybody. But you approach a topic like divorce, and everybody goes, eek, screech, squeal the tires. Why? Why is that the case? Well, here's why it's the case. First of all, and I'm going to give you two reasons I think it's the case that it's a hard topic to talk about. Uh, number one is this, just, just for fun. If you have been directly affected by divorce or indirectly affected by divorce, stand up. And my friends, this is why it's a hard topic to talk about. <laughs> you can be seated. I mean, this is, this is all around us, right? I mean, eight out of ten families will be affected by divorce, either directly or indirectly. I mean, this is a hard topic to talk about. The mere mention of it brings pain, doesn't it? And memories that many have carried for a long, long, long time. It's a hard topic. All of these things that you want to forget, all of a sudden, Jesus brings back to the forefront of our minds, and we go, thanks a lot, Jesus. <laughs> this is not enjoyable. I, I want to assure you that I can't speak for every pastor in the world. I can speak for me. This is not something that I woke up at 4 a.m. excited about today. I didn't wake up giddy. This is be fun to talk about. It really piss everybody off. Like that's not how I woke up this morning. And there's a good chance that it will tick off everybody in the room. And that's part of it. But I won't be a coward because of the awkwardness. So there are going to be some of you who's been through divorce and there's going to be stinging words. And then let me do the flip side as well. There are some of you that are self-righteous and this is going to punch you in the teeth. And so we jump into this world that we live in in divorce and it sounds more like this than the Bible. Here's what our world sounds like. Get a divorce or not, I don't care. <laughs> Just do what's right for you. You drive down Interstate 5920 and you'll run across billboards that advertise $99 no-fault divorce. It's easy. It's something that the world talks about. As a matter of fact, there's an app that's out, and there was the big scandal several years ago about the Ashley Madison. Everybody remembers this, right? <clears throat> and this is how the app was advertised. Life is too short. Have an affair. This is the world we live in. It makes it easy. And as a matter of fact, the owner of Ashley Madison, when he was interviewed and asked why he was so brazen about this and the billboards that he put up, here's what he said. The owner of Ashley Madison said this. I'm here to prove the fact that we already know that monogamy does not work. Never has. So this is the world that we live in. It's the if it feels right, then just go with it. Truth 
shouldn't trump our feelings. We should live by our feelings. Do what feels right. And Jesus puts this smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of it. And so that's where we find ourselves today, which tells me this, the fact that Jesus put it in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount tells me that it's good for our church, that it's good for us as individuals, and that it's good for our culture. It would do us well to hear the words of Christ. And so with that said, I'm not going to go any further than to ask Jesus to speak his word to us today. Because if anything comes out that is of me, I will jack it all up. Okay? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this ongoing main idea of the sermon that you've been given, that our external worship is nothing in light of our inward worship in our hearts. You're going to keep driving us inward even into this area today. And so I, I, Lord, am the first to admit that I come to this passage kicking and screaming like a baby because of all the thoughts that it brings up. And so, Lord, just be gracious to us. To the one in the room who needs to hear the tough words of our Lord, then let it be tough. But as one prayed this morning, as we were praying over this passage, Lord, that your soft grace would come in to those that need your soft grace. And so, Lord Jesus, as we jump into your text, may your text speak to us and let us not be sinful and just ignore it. And so, Lord Jesus, honor your word. Holy Spirit, move. Move, 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 move beyond the voice of a mortal man. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand in honor of God's word? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 is on the screen. Here's what it says. As a matter of fact, we don't need to do this a lot, but now we're in small chunks of Scripture, so we're going to read this together aloud. <clears throat> Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32 together aloud. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The Word of God for the people of God. Be seated. <clears throat> well... I'm going to say this as we dive in. Um, I don't think that you can rightly understand this passage without understanding Matthew 19 and also Deuteronomy 24. I think if you don't understand those two passages, then this is fairly hard to understand because you don't have the whole context. Praise the Lord for all of Scripture <laughs> that we can look at it as a whole. Every single person would have known what Jesus said when he said in verse 31, when he said, it was also said. Like, when he, when he says that aloud, we go, I don't know what was said. They would have known what was said, okay? It would have instantly brought to mind Deuteronomy 24, which is, I think, where we need to go first. It was also said. What was also said? Here's what was said. It'll be on the screen above. 
there was a major controversy going on at the time. And this controversy revolved around this right here. <clears throat> when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce. So this is Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is where this is coming from. So it was also said, this is what it's being referred to. The Old Testament, there's this phrase where Moses says about divorce and the certificate of divorce, and the key line there to underline, if you underline your Bible, I always want to give the caveat, if you don't underline your Bible, don't underline it. But if you do, this would be a good phrase to, to underline. The phrase was, in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. That's where the big debate stemmed from. What on earth did that mean? Some people took a broad view. Some people took a very narrow view. I'll jump into it in just a second, but here's what happens. Um, and he puts, uh, we're to read the rest of the passage, and he puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house as she departs out of his house. If she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her certificate of divorce and puts her in her hand and sends her out of the house, if the latter man dies, who took her to be um, his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she's been defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring the sin upon the land. That's a key word there. You shall not bring the sin upon the land that your Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this is where this dives into. Now I want you to jump into the cultural context that's going on. These people, they know nothing other than walking from tent to tent as a herd traveling around the desert together. Okay? They're exiled out of the land. This is the exiled people wandering in tents together. You think soap operas are drama-filled today? Imagine living in a tent next to somebody for 40 years traveling with them. In other words... They knew everything going on with everybody in a way that we do not understand. And so, in this moment, there's some hopping in and out. People are just hopping in and out of relationships. In these, and, and, and Moses is going, whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> okay, so this abomination, do not let this be a part of our people is what's going on here. But the main idea of Moses' teaching was incredibly simple. You read that passage, you can't ignore it. Here it was. Number one, a husband could divorce his wife. The wife could not divorce her husband. This was a patriarchal society, and only the men could. In other words, ladies, back in the day, you were boiled down to an object. You were an item. You were owned. And so, in other words, Moses, in this moment, says a husband could divorce her wife, his wife. Why? Because of this certificate of divorce. The certificate of divorce would have not been just an easy out, but the point of the certificate of, of divorce is it protected who? The woman. Because remember, she is bound, she is owned. If she is released, she st am I still under bondage? Am I not under bondage? Am I free? And Moses says you can give her a certificate. Why? So that that woman is now freed from the ownership of that man. Does that make sense? So this is what's going on in this culture. But one phrase that's hotly debated, which I've already alluded to, is this. You can do this if you found some indecency. <laughs> Anybody want to interpret that for us? Right? And just as you're giggling now, uh, it did become a hotly debated topic, and people were divided on what does this really mean. It's one of those phrases that's almost 
um, uninterpretable, devoid of context. And one group, which was called the Hillel group, this was the very liberal group, took this passage to mean this. Here's why you can get divorced. For any reason at all, just pick one. Any indecency. That's how they read this passage. The husband can put the wife away for any indecency at all, which strikingly sounds a lot like the world today. It's a very broad view. And so here's what they would suggest that you could divorce for. Any reason meant if she cooked bad food, you're out. If she had bad hair day, she's out. Doesn't apply to me, obviously. And Nolan. So, uh, not pointing you out, bald brother. Um, actually, I did point you out. Let's keep going. If she's got bad speech, if she posts a bad Facebook post, if you just think she is ugly now, like you dug her before, but mother time, <laughs> is mother time a thing or is that father time? And, and you just go, hi, she's ugly now, I don't want her. Any indecency, you could put her away. And so this was the broad debated. You could do this for any indecency at all. And then there's another group called the Shammai group, which was the more conservative group. And here's what they said. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. It doesn't say for any indecency. It says he has found some specific indecency. So is there a specific indecency that you could divorce for? And they would go for any indecency sexually up to the point of adultery. And I say up to the point of adultery because they wouldn't have interpreted this as adultery because adultery already had a, a penalty. What was the penalty? Stoning. You could stone. That was the Old Testament penalty for adultery. So they would go, okay, well, it's got to be broader than that. So it's anything that brings sexual suspicion towards the marriage you could divorce for would be this group's interpretation. Indecent exposure. Bestiality, homosexuality, fornication, anything that brought sexual suspicion. Now, that gives you the context for the questions that are coming. So that's Deuteronomy 24. That gets us to Matthew 19. Not 5, 19. Now, this is one of those uh, bonus sermons because you know that we'll hit Matthew 19 probably in you know January or something like that, but you can't not cover 19 and understand 5, I believe. So here we go. So the Pharisees ask in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, it'll be on the screen as well, um, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now you understand the debate. What is the cause? And so Jesus does three things. Number one, Jesus appeals to creation for an answer. That'll pop up, all these three will pop up on the screen as well. So they said, is, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so Jesus jumps straight to creation. Here's what he says, verse 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Did you notice what he did? Completely avoided their question. Totally avoided it. Goes, jumps, bypasses their question and goes straight to creation. He goes back to Genesis 2, 24. 
And so, number one, he blatantly ignores their question. He doesn't side with either one of them. And then secondly, he goes back to the original design. In other words, and I love the way that Albert Moeller puts this, he points them back not to their primal bond, but a greater bond. And I love this. Because we as a culture love the primal bond. We have someone holding a child right now, and we, we think of our children in that primal sense, that primal bond. I'm going to hold and leave and cleave to my kids, and I will never let them go. And they become little objects of worship sometimes, right? I know mine do. And we hold them until they are dead in the grave. They are mine. We are one. And Jesus says there's a greater bond than the bond that comes naturally, that being the marriage bond. He points back to the bond of two becoming one flesh. Guess what is not one flesh? Your own offspring. He appeals to something greater. Do you see what's going on here? There's this broad view, and Jesus jumps all the way to super narrow. And he goes, this was not God's original design. And so Jesus swings a right-hand punch by basically saying this, divorce is inconceivable in God's original design. Is it lawful for one to divorce his wife for any cause? Jesus says, not according to Genesis 2.24 in God's design. He upholded Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 will not be on the screen, but people were coming to the Lord going, you're not hearing our prayers. You're not, where are you at? You're not in our offerings. And here's Jesus' I mean, here's the Lord's response. You say, for what reason? Well, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she's your companion and your wife by covenant. But not one has done so who has, uh, who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? So take heed then to your spirit. And let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Well, Pharisees didn't like that. And my guess is, some of you are brooding against me now. This is where the Lord says, and so then they ask another question. They're shocked. The Pharisees are stunned. They are furious with Jesus at this, pointing back to the original design. And so they come up with a great question. Well, then why on earth did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? That seems like a logical question, right? It's verse 7. And if you underline your Bible, I would underline the word command there because this is very important. So they ask the question, why did Moses command? Now, this is a side note. There's a sub-narrative going on. So for those of you who love this kind of stuff, the sub-narrative is they invite Jesus to answer a question that only God can answer, and he does it. <laughs> sub-narrative, we can talk about that later. That's just for the nerds in the room. All right? Jesus, two, number 2, 
After he appeals to creation as the answer, Jesus corrects them by explaining this concession. Watch what he says, verse 8. And so he says to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses commanded you to divorce your wives. Right? Is that what he says? He doesn't. He says what? Allow. He replaces their question that says, Jesus, why did Moses command? And he says, Moses didn't command. He allowed which is two totally different things. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But, and he appeals back to creation again, but it was not so from the beginning. So in other words, Jesus edits this word and basically concedes that the fall does mess junk up. And so Jesus explains the reason, and the reason that Moses did it was because of the hardness of your heart. Now... There are a million ways you can go with this. I'm just going to look at four. I think that's what's going on. The hardness of your heart was expressed in the fact that husbands were indeed just walking in and out. Their hearts were hard, and they were just, it was flippant. And Moses was like, no way, this is not going to be a part of our people group. So that's number one. And then I do want to point out the hardness of your heart, <clears throat> that there was something specific about this. Because note in Scripture, there are no other exception clauses ever for any other sin. There's never a, well, look, I understand that you steal a little bit because you don't have, so therefore it's okay to steal a little bit because of the hardness of your heart. That never happens. Or lying. Look, I understand that lying is a part of living, and so maybe for the greater good you can lie. Like, there's never an exception. This is the only exception clause if you grant it in Scripture. And in that moment... What's going on here, I think, is Moses recognizes that the greatest form of idolatry that one can have is a relationship with another person. Objects come and go, but people last forever in an intimate way that's just different. And I think what's going on here is Moses recognizes that relationships can lead one to worship in a way that is devoid of God in a way that's different than anything else. And so he goes, because of this hardness that's going on that's leading you to worship a person instead of me. And then I would also argue this right here. I don't think that you can get around the fact that God is just displaying common grace in this moment. It's just common grace to humanity. I can't explain it. I'm not even saying it's the best thing. I'm just going, he loves humans in such a way that in this moment, there is this allowance going on that he did not have to allow. And so, one quote of an author says it this way, and I think that this is a great way to frame it. He says, This was divine concession and reluctant permission at best to very real human weakness. And so Jesus points to that original design, and the Pharisees are dumbfounded. But then notice Jesus does finally go to their question. He finally gets around after he points to original creation, after he explains the concession, not the command, but the concession. And then finally, Jesus affirms a possible ground of divorce without instructing divorce. Don't miss that. He affirms a possible ground without instructing divorce. Verse 9, and he says this, and I say to you, there's our sub-narrative again, he's <laughs> speaking on behalf of God, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife 
except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so Jesus puts Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 19 back on repeat. And he disagrees with both the Hillel view and the Shammai view. In other words, he says this, Moses only gave one reason, not a command, and that reason was porneia. It's where we get our word pornography from. The one reason he gives is porneia, which means literally sexual immorality. And then Jesus affirms Moses and says, so I will only give one reason. Again, not command, porneia, sexual immorality. And there was something about that word that he used that rocked the disciples' world. Why? Because they said, verse 10, which is not on the screen, well, then should anybody ever get married? Why would you ever get married? There was something radical about what Jesus said. And what I think is going on here is there is something Jesus is pointing to that's far more specific than Hillel, any reason at all. And it's even more specific than Shammai, which is something that brings about sexual suspicion. And what I think he's alluding to is, here's your grounds for divorce. You want your grounds for divorce? It's adultery. And I understand the argument that the word moikeia is not used there. I get that. I'm, I'm still not settled in all of this for sure. But I think that shocked the disciples so much because the disciples go, well, gosh almighty, we've already got that. We can't stone people anymore for adultery. And the Roman government has replaced stoning with divorce. And we already have this. And so Jesus says, you want your reason? The government already gives you the reason. And that sh blows their minds. And they go, that's a bond that I don't know that I want to be in. In other words, they had embraced the larger culture. Is I went thinking what's going on. And so in this moment, theologians branch apart like weeds. <laughs> Sprawling weeds. Brilliant men all over the theological spectrum. Way smarter than I am. And I will not lay claim over any of them. Some people point to a betrothal view in this word porneia. What does this word mean? What is so shocking about it is kind of the argument here. And the betrothal view, which is really pumped forward by John Piper these days. Um, and I think it's a, it's a great argument. I think you have to do some biblical gymnastics to come up with it. But the betrothal view says this, that you can get divorced for porneia, sexual immorality, as long it's in the, as it's in the engagement period. Where do they get that from? Well, because Joseph wanted to put away Mary for porneia, but here's the problem. They weren't married yet. They were just engaged. And so it's a great argument. It's a great understanding, but that's, that's the betrothal view. There's another view that says this. No, no, no. This is indeed an exception clause that applies to marriage as stands right now. You can get divorced if sexual immorality occurs, porneia, in which one party breaks the covenant that you guys have made together. You've broken it. And then there's a, a third view that I would, if you want to know where I tip my hat, I kind of land here at this point in my life. The allowance but not instruction view. 
In other words, Jesus says, I think the plain and simple meaning of the text is, porneia applies to marriage when there's an unrepentant breach. In other words, Jesus affirms, you can, here's, if, there, if there is possible grounds, here's the possible grounds. When one person breaches that covenant and they remain in an unrepentant state. In other words, if they're repentant, you grant them grace in the same way Jesus granted you. And that's where I kind of am right now. All of these great, these all make sense theologically if you go through them. <clears throat> but it sounds something like this to their ears. I rule out all your exceptions, and the only Old Testament sexual concession I possibly allow results in stoning. But our current government has substituted that punishment with divorce. And so I think Jesus took the highest ground. Which gets us to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. And at this point, you go, holy moly, are we about to go through Matthew 5 now? No, we're not. Because I think we've already been through Matthew 5 by going through Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 19. But it does say this. Now the words that you read aloud, it was also said. What was said? Deuteronomy 24. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, answering their question, Matthew 19. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, everything we've just unpacked, makes her commit adultery. He there has to imply that she remarries. If she doesn't remarry, she can't be in a state of adultery. That doesn't even make sense. So the key is if she remarries in this state. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that, dear friends is a load to unpack. As we've journeyed through this, I'm just going to give you some quotes from some theologians that are way beyond my scope, most of them presidents of seminaries. Kent Hughes says it this way, So, our Lord Jesus allows divorce, and in allowing divorce allows remarriage only on the basis of marital unfaithfulness. Tabidi Anabwali says it this way. He breaks down this teaching in three simple statements. Here's what the teaching of the Lord... I wish I could speak like him. Here's what the teaching of the Lord says. But I can't. I'm more squeaky. <laughs> he says, number one, this passage teaches that the one who divorces his wife, if she remarries, causes her to commit adultery. Number two, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Number three, but there's one exception to this, except for sexual immorality, meaning marital unfaithfulness. So Tabidi goes on to say this, a Christian may remarry if they are not the offending party causing divorce, breaking the covenant. In other words, if you remarry and divorce for any other reason than sexual unfaithfulness, you commit adultery. Our world says you can get divorced if you're just not compatible. Our world says you can get divorced if you have different temperaments. Our world says you can get divorced if you don't agree on money. Our world says you can get divorced if you disagree over a job decision. You can get divorced if there's just no fun factor anymore. And the plain and simple teaching of this text is that's just not the case. 
So at the risk of over-repetition, <laughs> Jesus does not command and require divorce for a sexual adultery. But it is allowed, according to this teaching and this understanding. So, if you learn that your spouse has an affair, this is not a get-out-of-marriage-free card. People in our society are looking for reasons to sprint to the courthouse. Why? Because we maximize the other person's sin and neglect our own sin. We look for a way out instead of a way through. Was it a one-time event? Or is it an unrepentant lifestyle? And I think that's a big question. Was it possible to get divorced? Yes. Was it profitable to get divorced? I don't think so. Thus, here I stand, as always, smack in the middle, ticking everybody off. But I think this is where the, where the Scripture teaches. And I am fully aware that at this point, everybody in this room has a zillion justifications that you could throw at me. Like you're hurling them at me right now. Remember, I am just preaching the text, okay? I can feel them like you're pinging them off my bald head right now. I get that. Okay. I feel it. All I'm asking us to do is to not hit me, but also not hit the mute button on Christ's teaching. I'm calling us to consider, might Christ actually know best in this area? This teaching was indeed radical. Man, it was radical. And it was awkward. But Jesus confronted the awkward to the glory of the Father. Kent Hughes says this, The church and the world has corrupted and trivialized marriage as some sort of provisional relationship that dissolves when our pygmy love recedes. That's so good, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> the church and the world has corrupted and trivialized marriage as some sort of provisional relationship that dissolves when our pygmy love recedes. And so, what else does the Bible say? Man, we got to wrap it up. Um, John MacArthur spends four weeks on these two verses. So if you really want to dive in, I would send you to his website, and you can peruse this all you want. But does the Bible teach anything else? Is there any other exception? Because there may be somebody in this room going, man, is there anything else? <laughs> like you're looking for something. Well, I'm not telling you this because you're looking for something, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 8 through 16, and I would suggest you John Murray's book on divorce. If you really want to know kind of where I'm at in life right now, read John Murray's book on divorce, okay? It's phenomenal. Um, here's what he says, and he's speaking to mixed marriages. Mixed marriages meaning not what the cultural South has defined as mixed marriage. That's garbage. A mixed marriage meaning an unbeliever and a believer together. And what had happened was there were a bunch of people in Corinth who had come to know Christ, 
and, but their spouses had not. And so in that case, Paul says this, here's my apostolic teaching. And his teaching was, if you're the believer and the unbelieving one wants to remain married, then as a believer, you don't leave. You remain. And in doing so, you are a part of their process of sanctification. You stay together. This honors the Lord. And then he also goes on to say this, but if you are the believer and the unbeliever wants to leave and have nothing to do with you and the faith, let them go. You're no longer bound. You are freed. And so in that moment, with that, I also would add this to what I believe is an exception clause, if you will. John MacArthur concludes all of his understanding by saying this, the believer is not to divorce at all. Jesus does say that. But if a believer is divorced and he is a victim of adultery or a divorce by somebody that doesn't want anything to do with Christ, 1 Corinthians 7, then and only then is he or she free to remarry. So, two reasons to bullet down to, that I believe Scripture allows divorce, and then I'm going to give you an asterisk as well. Number one, marital sexual misconduct. And again, I would add to that, it's unrepentant and ongoing. I believe grace and the gospel should wash, and you should be willing to forgive first and foremost. Number two, if an unbelieving spouse leaves and deserts marriage. And then I'm going to give you a third one, which I think is an asterisk, <clears throat> which is always dangerous ground. So maybe I should say it like Paul, right? This is not the Lord. But I do believe that you can make a very strong argument for spousal abuse. Why? Because in spousal abuse, that person is remaining as an unrepentant person. And if they are an unrepentant person, I would argue that fits the 1 Corinthians 7 category, that they're an unbeliever. And so in that moment, I think there's a very strong argument for unrepentant desertion in spousal abuse. Divorce is not ideal, and it's only a concession to human weakness, and God hates it. Divorce, indeed, may not be sin in and of itself, but it is absolutely due to sin. Remarriage is all over the place where you land theologically. It may or may not be sin, but I would say this, it is in no way a laughing matter that we should ever wink at and smirk and go. Divorce and remarriage can be argued under tons of biblical guidelines, but in no way is it God's original design. Every divorce should be met with mourning, not Facebook posts proclaiming, this is the best decision I've ever made in my life. As I was studying this, and guys, look, I started studying this last Sunday afternoon and have not stopped, except for the occasional baseball practice, until this morning. And I've ran across some crazy stuff like divorce rings that people buy to celebrate their new beginning. 
of freedom. So, we've really shaken the Coke can up. <laughs> and there's a lot of pressure right now. I feel that. What if you are the offending party? Up to this point, we've talked about what if you're the one that has been offended is how the text basically reads. What if I'm the one that's been offended? But what if you're the one in this room who is the offending party? You're the one who botched it all up and you're wearing that on you. What is he going to say? I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to quote Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Here's what Dr. Jones says. Have you nothing to say about the others who are feeling this weight? Ask someone. All I would say about them is this, and say it carefully and advisedly, and almost in fear, lest I give even a semblance of a suggestion that I'm saying anything that may encourage anyone to sin. But on the basis of the gospel, and in the interest of truth, I am compelled to say this. Even adultery is not the unforgivable sin. It's a terrible sin. But God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or herself outside the love of God or outside of his kingdom because of adultery. No. If you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven, and I assure you of pardon. But indeed, hear the words of our blessed Lord. Go and sin no more. <sighs> to my friends in here, and this hurts me and... and I'm, I'm terrible at mercy, but I'm pretty good at grace. Because I know your stories, and I've walked with you, and you've been on my couch, and we've had lunches, and I know what's going on. I plead with you to hear the gospel of a boundless love that extends all your mistakes. That's the scandalous news of the gospel. If you've repented, I want to read you three verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2, 24, which talks about people who've jacked it up in all kinds of ways. You put on the new self, and new means new. Created after the likeness of God and in righteousness and holiness. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, friends, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Parting shots. Parting words to the unmarried in the room. 
<laughs> this sermon was fun for you, you self-righteous punks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got this figured out. Let's talk in a couple of years. Parting words to the unmarried. Marriage isn't a joke, man. This is big boy stuff, and it's not optional. The choice that you're about to make is the greatest choice you will ever make in your life. It's not to be treated lightly. This is a big decision, and you really get to make the choice. All the people who have heard bad theology, that God has the one out there for you, and all that, kind of stuff, that, is, that, is not, that is bad theology, all right? That's bad theology. You get to really make a choice. You get to make a choice. Now, is God sovereign over that choice? Yes, but that's a whole other thing for another day. All right? <laughs> Concurrence occurs, okay? Choose wisely. Unmarried people. Is the person that you're entertaining marriage, are they bearing spiritual fruit? Are they humble? Are they overbearing? Do they talk incessantly? All these things are good things to think about, right? Why? Because you have to live with them, right? You don't just get to walk the aisle with them and play marriage and get your pictures. And who, like, after that's over with and you come back from Sandals or Gatlinburg, it gets real, okay? Ask questions. This is big decisions. And if you are a married person in here who will counsel the unmarried through that, raise your hand high. Okay, three people will counsel you. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> All right. Don't rush to the altar just because he or she said you're pretty and your biological clock is ticking. Don't overlook some data that will tell you what type marriage you are headed to. Big decisions. Parting words to those considering divorce. Marriage is a one flesh covenant between two people. Not to be broken. Have you done everything possible to reconcile, repent, and restore marriage and model the gospel? And as firm and as sensitive simultaneously as I can say this, grace could be sufficient in your situation. The elders would love to meet with you if you have any questions. Parting words to the church as a whole. We need to resist with all that we have the world's take on divorce and take a strong stance just as the Bible does. We at Safe Haven will not be casual about the nature of Christ and the church as illustrated in Ephesians 5. And then parting words also, oh, this calls us to be very careful and refrain from self-righteous judgment. So to all the happily married people in here, and to all of the arrogant singles in here, same sermon. But I say to you, whoever has looked with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. 
it levels the playing field. So drop your self-righteousness at the door. And walk with your, one, your brother and sister who need you, not your pompousness. And my parting pastoral shot, before I go take a nap, I think this sermon would take five years off my life. What you've already done before, if you want to understand, if you, we went through it in Mark, if you remember it, you can go listen to what I said then. You'll actually see, I've, anyway, okay, doesn't matter. Pastoral shot. For those with ears to hear. Unless we understand sin, we'll never understand grace. And unless we understand grace, we'll never understand sin. Did I forget any people group? Oh, yeah. The ones that's been divorced. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, what a passage. And so Lord, for the one contemplating divorce. Oh God, that they would heed your words and model the gospel. To the one that's been through divorce and has repented, God, that they would feel the gospel flooding them. And then, Father, for the unrepentant today that they would repent and they would breathe in the gospel. They would agree with you in their sin. Whether it be divorce or whether it be remarriage. If they've sinned in either way, that they would agree with you in that. And then, that they would draw a line in the sand and love the spouse that they're with now like Christ does the church. So Jesus... We lay this in your hands. It's your precious name we pray. Amen.